0: Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that once offended Carl Malone so much he wrote into the SEC and asked for us to be canceled. We are still on the air, Malone. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of maizeandbrew.com. Andy, you
1: Swanson-esque dinosaur jackal. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I still like to brag about how I have the same amount of NBA championships as Carl Malone, except that I'm I'm still on the air and he isn't. So, good to be alive, my friend. Carl Malone catching strays
0: for no reason. 35 seconds into this podcast, and look, it's only going up from here. We've got a great podcast for you this week. Not messing around. We have a legend back for his third time, which I think makes him a friend, Desmond Howard join the show we're gonna lead with that Andy anything we need to preface this delightful segment you're
1: about to hear with right. rank these three great Michigan men in terms of charisma Desmond Howard, Devin Gardner Andrew (laughs) Vastardis It's tough. I hate that nasty vasty's coming in third here,
0: but the amount of charisma <laughs> from those top two. I think you have it in order. I think that it is in order. Uh Sir Desmond Howard, the young up and comer Devin Gardner, and then uh Andrew Vastardis and possibly a distant third, and that's no knocking on him.
1: <laughs> I wanted to pull somebody random for the third spot and I couldn't just like get David Mulk's name out quick enough, so it ended up being nasty vasty. Uh, George Rooks, anyone? No
0: he transferred we don't care about him but what we do care about is this upcoming segment that you're about to hear with an absolute legend check it out all right we'd like to welcome to the show back for a third time it is our pleasure honor privilege to welcome back michigan legend heisman trophy winner espn college game day host and analyst desmond howard desmond welcome
2: back to the show thank
0: you for your time again sir
2: Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Time number three now. I mean, I think this
0: almost gets you onto like the Christmas card list level. I mean, it's, it's good to have you back, man. So we really appreciate it. Uh, let's get into it, man. So we did a podcast a few weeks ago. We did our best to litigate how we thought Jim Harbaugh was able to get Michigan across that hurdle that had been in front of them for a few years, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten championship. You know way more about football and building culture than us. What do you think was the most important change or changes that Jim Harbaugh did to achieve this goal?
2: Wow. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think first and foremost, he, um, he hired some great assistant coaches. I mean, that's the, the big change that I saw. Um, you know, he knew what he wanted to accomplish. We all understood based on the previous coaches, it was going to be an uphill battle for coach Harbaugh. Um, and uh, we understood that it was going to be, um, you know, a hard, some, something that's really difficult for him to do, but we thought he could do it. Um, but I think once he started to hire different coaches, then that was the biggest change that I saw. Um, You know, he, he, uh, so I think that's where it started. You got got to have great assistant coaches, no matter what your vision is and what you want to accomplish. If the guys who are helping you um, achieve those goals or try to change their culture, if they're not on the same page as you, there's going to show in the performance and that's what happened. And then once he was able to get, these quality assistant coaches who are on the same page as Coach Harbaugh, then uh, we saw the uh, program take off.
1: Yeah, hiring the right people cannot be overstated. It's just like recruiting yeah. the right players. And I think one of the most important hires he made in the off season a few years ago was bringing in Biff Pogie to kind of be his right-hand man, the guy he could talk to and kind of confide in. So with him going to Charlotte, it's awesome. He gets that opportunity, but I think that was just such a big catalyst for him behind the scenes to have somebody like that to lean on.
2: No, you're hundred percent right. And people didn't even know the name Biff Pogie until maybe halfway through this season, um, there was a, a piece uh, that Bruce Feldman did on him that was just outstanding. Excellent I mean, Bruce piece. A, yeah, Bruce does an excellent job. And, and that's when people are like, well, who is this, this Cussiglieri or some type of guy <laughs> this dude is for Jim Harbaugh? Like, what is his role? But you're right. Yeah, bringing in people like that to, to help him, you know, not only establish the culture, but to help him, um. I guess understand the value of other coaches too I think that's really what helped uh coach Harbaugh get over that hump and uh yeah you're right it's you know it's a it's a huge loss I think but I think um also that they have the program going in the right way now so um they hope everything should be okay
1: Biff Pogie was kind of like his Tom Hagen from the Godfather so it's like you can't like a very important person in that Exactly. Uh, <laughs> getting it onto the field now. Des, uh, Michigan saw Marvin Harrison Jr. in Columbus. and They might see him again. They have to get through Quentin Johnston over at TCU. And they just went through Charlie Jones at Purdue, who all clearly fit the bill of a bona fide number one receiver. Ronnie Bell for Michigan is having a very good season. But do you see him as a number one receiver or does Michigan even have a number one receiver? Or is that concept just kind of outdated at this
2: point? Well, I think that when you look at Michigan's offense, they're just extremely balanced. They really are. And I think because they don't have like the quote unquote number one, I don't think a defensive coordinator goes into the game saying we have to eliminate Ronnie Bale. I mean, they understand that they have to try to limit his, um, his touches, his explosive plays, or just his effect on the game. But you don't, Go in there and say we have to just completely take him out the game because they have so many other weapons, and that's what makes this the offense so um, you know so great, so to speak. It's really balanced. You know, you can try to take out take out Ronnie Bell, but then you look at what Cornelius Johnson did to Ohio State. You know, he has ability. They have guys with ability. They use them as they need to use them, and they have tight ends. Who can hurt you? Obviously, you got running backs who can do damage. So because of the balance that they have, which I think is tremendous, it makes it very difficult for a defensive coordinator and a defensive staff to go into a game against Michigan and say, okay, we have to eliminate this one player.
0: Completely agree with you there. And you mentioned just the balance that you might take away the number one receiver quote unquote, but you might not take away the number one pass catcher or playmaker for that day. And it can just be anyone with this Michigan offense. So completely agree with you there. Um, College game day was at three different TCU games this year. So you got a chance to see them up close and personal couple, couple different times. What was your biggest takeaway from this team and the underlying factor that you think propelled them to their first college football playoff experience?
2: Yeah, I tell you what, uh the, the quarterback Max Duggan, I saw him for the first time in Lawrence, Kansas. We were there for the game against Kansas, and I remember doing some you know homework on Kansas. I mean, on um uh, TCU going to the Kansas game and watching them play Oklahoma. And at this point, everyone thought Oklahoma was gonna be a really good team. They got this new coach, Brent Venables. He's gonna finally get their defense to play great. Sooners defense and this is early in the season right and we expected that but TCU played Oklahoma and I distinctly remember Max Duggan on like this long touchdown run It's maybe 65 yards I'm not sure the exact distance but anyways a long touchdown run and he was going out on the right sideline and he was actually pulling away from the Sooners secondary and I was like wow man that guy must have some pretty decent speed. And then when I watched them come out for the Kansas game during warmups, we were on the field and I said to uh, David Pollack, I said, man, did you see Max Duggan? That dude is bigger than I thought. Like, so he's a big guy who can actually run. So that was my first impression um, on him. And as far as a team, just a really resilient team, a team that believe in themselves. They believe in what the uh, coaches are preaching and they never ever think that they're out of a game, and that's how they've been able to win so many games. You know, not only in the second half, but uh, you know, we've seen them do um, a I forget what they call it, but it was a, it was a crazy drill where they had to rush the field goal team on the field yeah. with like I don't know less than 10 seconds to kick a game winning field goal, and they did it. So, a resilient team, gritty. Um, they have some explosive players too. Actually, Max Duggan was was number two in the Heisman voting. So that tells you what people think of his talent. And, um, you know, but they've had some issues on uh, defensively that people have taken advantage of. But the offense, uh, very explosive, good running back. Talked about Quentin Johnston, uh, Darius Davis. You know, they got some dudes who can do some damage out there offensively. I just want to put it on the record. When Desmond Howard calls somebody fast, it means they are fast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Believe it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Des, yeah, get, getting into this Wolverines team one more time here, do you believe that this iteration of Michigan is more or less equipped to make a run through the playoff and win a national championship than last year's team?
2: Wow, I tell you what, it's really hard to, to compare the two because you have to look at the opponents, too. Obviously, I mean, you know, you looked at the um, – I think Michigan had three bona fide first-rounders on the defense a year ago. Um, I don't know how many first-rounders they have on this – this year's defense, um, you know, you look at the Will Johnson and you, you mentioned how um, they played Marvin Harrison Jr. In, in Columbus. And I just I just say, look at that first play. Like <laughs> the first play of the game, I'm standing right there on the sideline and I'm looking at the formation and they have a tight end outside, wide outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. And then they motioned him in. And I told everybody around me, I said – Ryan Day is about to come after the freshman, and that's exactly what he did. He came, um, he threw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. and uh, Will Johnson pretty much choked him out, and it was a it was an incomplete pass. And I don't think they threw the ball towards Will Johnson the rest of the game when he was checking Marvin Harrison Jr. So um, they have some guys, you know, young guys, young pups, but they're they're making the name for themselves. Uh, Mike Sanger still. Just love the way he plays. He has so much energy, so football savvy. And a year ago, he was a wide receiver. So I think when you when you compare them, it's it's kind of difficult to compare them. I think they're in a position to make a run because they're a hell of a team, undefeated. Um, you know, took care of that business on the road against um, Ohio State when people didn't give them a chance. And and we're talking about a resounding victory, not some type of, oh, that was a close game, you know, Ohio State. You know, they they got lucky against Ohio State. No one walked away from that game saying Michigan got lucky. People walked away saying it was clear and obvious that they were the best team on the field that day. So with that being said, I think that they have just a lot of confidence. Um, They have balance on offense. They have young pups on defense. But then they got veterans like Mike who are making plays. Just got a really good mixture of youth and veteran players that are out there doing, doing the best that they can. And, um, you know, so far so good
0: completely agree with you. It's tough to compare iterations. Uh, You mentioned guys that we're absolutely obsessed with and that's saying we still and Will Johnson think that they are going to be stars. But then there's also the J.J. McCarthy thing. You know, there's that factor of what could this guy be? And we saw it against Ohio State started to see things break loose for him. So it's fascinating. So jealous that you're going to be at those games uh, covering those we're going to do our best to make it out there. Uh, You've been working with Modelo again, my favorite beer company since I was able to drink. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on with them this year.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um we, we we decided to run it back. We have a full-time fan uh contest. So Modelo is is going to reward one fan, one fan's going to get a salary, actually, a six-figure salary, uh, for being the, the, the big full-time fan. And not only that, but they get a chance to to hang out with me at the national championship and guys, I, I had a hand in picking out this fan. So it's going to be really, really cool to be able to spend some time with this, this, I guess you call it the, the number one full-time fan in college football. And, you know, Modelo's uh, motto is the, the fighting spirit. And we talk about these teams, right? We talked like, we talked about TCU and one thing I talked about is their resilience, uh, resiliency, and you look at a Michigan team that, replaced a lot of players, replaced both coordinators, and they've shown that fighting spirit, too, throughout the season. So we understand that just like the players, the fans, they have a fighting spirit, too, we recognize that. I love that about Modelo, so I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm excited to spend some time down at the National Championship game with this lucky fan.
0: That's the coolest promotion. Yeah. Every time you come back, it's something cooler. Like next year, it's like, all right, you're moving into Dez's guest room. Like, you're,
2: getting to drink, like,
0: you're getting like a lifetime supply of Modella. Like Every year you come back, it's cooler and cooler, man. Exactly. That's so awesome. We really appreciate you coming on, man. It's it's so great to, to chop it up with you and get your insights. Uh, you're the GOAT, man. We really appreciate you.
2: No, no. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it, man. Hey, and have a happy holiday season, guys.
0: Same to you and yours.
2: Thank you. Merry Christmas, brother. Yes, sir.
0: Sir, welcome back. That was arguably, actually, it's not arguably. It is the best conversation we've had with Desmond.
1: That was awesome, man. Every time we talk to him, it's such a delight. You and I got to chop it up with him for uh, a few brief minutes afterwards. And just a consummate professional and just such a relatable guy. And I, it's very common when you say, don't meet your heroes. But I recommend everybody meet Desmond Howard.
0: Yeah, if you get a chance to uh, more swagger, Desmond Howard, Garrett Rivas, Eric Magnuson as a freshman,
1: <laughs> Is Eric Magnuson, the one that ate the horse diet, I forget if that was
0: him or if that was Ben Braden that only ate bread and apples. So <laughs> the low on the swagger list, but it's neither here nor there. Who was horse
1: guy on the offensive line? I forget. That's a good trivia question for Michigan diehards. It's it's, it's Desmond running away. Like, the first time you and I talked to him last year, we were just blown away with how, like, down to earth and cool he was. I mean, he could have insulted us for 20 minutes and we still would have been like, oh my God, he's so cool. But like the fact that he's just like a real genuine down to earth guy is just incredible. and such a delight to always talk to him. And he's officially a friend of the program.
0: A lot of thanks to Desmond and for Modelo to putting that together. Let's move forward. Let's touch on some basketball, sir. Uh, to go from Desmond Howard to a win versus Lipscomb is a bit of a downgrade, but that's what we're doing because... Michigan won 8375 over a program called Lipscomb. That I know for a fact you cannot tell me what state that's in. Isn't it like Tennessee? I don't know. That's why I said you can't do it. I just Googled it. It is a faith, it is in Tennessee. All right. Well, I guess I owe you a beer, but yeah, I did not know that they're the Bisons, which there's never (laughs) been any Bison in Nashville, but 8375 in that game. A lot to take away from this one. Kobe Bufkin is on an absolute tear. Last two games, 15 of 20, five of six from three for 37 points in the last two Uh, starting to come together. My whole he might be the second option here pretty soon.
1: Yes, I mean, this has been one of your best takes of the year. Kobe just continued to ascend to career high in this one. And you can just see his confidence grow with every game. You see him early on impacting uh, every game in different ways, whether it was offensive rebounding, defensive intensity, blocks. He was just getting himself involved. And last year, I think the biggest issue with Kobe was just confidence. And this year he has it in spades, and it's just going up and up with every passing game.
0: And we're going to need it as well with Llewellyn out. Doug McDaniel did not have his best game in this one. He goes two for eight for seven points. Um, Just still trying to get a feel for things. The turnovers were encouraging. Only turned the ball over one time as opposed to three assists. But just not really... In a groove in this one, Terrence Terry Two stick struggled a little bit as well. But overall, to me, this is guard defense is kind of what I look at against Lipscomb. Mm -hmm. Their uh, their guard Pruitt went off for 27. So our inability to get in front of him, get hands in his face. This kind of plays into what we were expecting at this point, though, is that I don't know that Doug McDaniel and Kobe Bufkin are an elite is in a stretch, but a serviceable uh, backcourt defensive duo
1: well the one thing I'll say in defensive Doug it was very impressive the way he closed the game he was scoreless for the majority and I believe he had seven of the last like 10 points when the game was kind of hanging in the balance to put this one away and with Jalen and you just didn't have that kind of microwave score that could just heat up at the right time so I was encouraged of that with an overall kind of average performance from him Um, defensively you're absolutely right this team is just weak on defense, especially on the perimeter. Also terrible from the free throw line. You make four more of those. This game's probably out of reach early on. So those two are the biggest issues, but this just keeps like up with the common trend of Michigan playing down to the level of their competition. Granted, Lipscomb is frisky. They played Notre Dame within two a few weeks ago, and the same Notre Dame team that beat Michigan State by 18, so they can rise their level up as well. But this is what we're going like, to have to get used to for Michigan. They're going to play the tough teams really tough, and they're going to play the bad teams really tough. That is what we're
0: starting to realize with this team. And once again, the lack of bench scoring really rears its ugly head. Uh, Nine points total off the bench. Terrace Reed gives you four. But Joey Baker, only two points in 12 minutes. Just such a hit or miss guy. Like Joey Baker is either going to be on and he's going to give you 12 or it's just going to be almost no contribution. So consistency from the bench unit backcourt defense, um, you know, just defense in the paint, just defense in general needs to take a step forward. Currently sitting at seven and three, but a lot of the prognosticators are not giving this Michigan team much of a chance once Big Ten uh, play gets rolling. Excuse me. Um, I saw today that there was only a 0.6% chance they're giving us of making the tournament, which seems incredibly low for a seven and three team. But just kind of goes to show you what they think about this team and how difficult it's going to be once this starts ramping up here which is happening soon
1: that just seems like <clears throat> ridiculous to me because i think this team is better right now than we were last year michigan last year was coming off i mean blowout losses to several teams you had the like the awful loss to ucf i believe michigan got down to 7 and 5 7 and 6 this time last year, so they really clawed their way back up. And I just like a lot more things on this team compared to last year. So, I mean, predictions are what they are. We've seen those and all the systems and ranking predictors kind of fall apart from ESPN before. So I'm still reserving judgment on this team, but I think you and I are both pretty optimistic on their ceiling.
0: Yeah, I don't get that at all. I am still a believer that they will make the tournament. If I could bet on it, I'm sure that I can. Next time I'm up in Michigan, I'll do just that. I think they will make the tournament. People seem to forget that Juwan Howard's a really good coach. I had to unfollow some people the other day during the Lipscomb game who were like, yeah, if this is how tight we're playing Lipscomb. It's time to move on from Juwan Howard. I don't get where this is coming from. Like, If this is still emanating from the slap incident, you need to like preface it with that and say you're still mad about some off the court incident that happened last year, because as far as on court production, yeah, exactly what you just said last year at this point, I do not think we were this far advanced. I don't think we were this far ahead. I think this is a better team earlier in the season. And you saw what we were able to do last year. So why on earth with Hunter Dickinson, a legitimate Naismith candidate, would I give up on making the tournament and like Want to move away from Jawan Howard. It's Just some weird energy surrounding this year's program for a seven and three team that could still, like, I mean, everything they want is still right in front of them.
1: Yeah, especially two years ago, Michigan made the Elite Eight and was two points away. From, I mean, really a Franz Wagner three away from making the Final Four. Last year, upset Tennessee, made the Sweet 16. And now, I mean, the 10th game of the season, we're ready to jump ship. It's just. It's silly. It's a slow sports time of the year. I try to give people a pass, but, you know, they always want it immediately. Sometimes you gotta wait for things to play out. And this is one of those cases. I will push back that it's a slow sports period because on Sunday I woke up at like
0: 9 a.m. and was inundated with sports, just blowing my hair back for like 11 hours. Uh, There was the World Cup final, which was I've watched only a couple of them, but that had to be the most entertaining one ever. Did you get a chance to watch Argentina, France?
1: Uh, I did. Great game. And I should have said a slow Michigan sports cycle.
0: Yeah, yeah. But even then, like, so that's going on. I'm checking Twitter. We're landing like transfer after transfer. You got uh, NFL Sunday. The Lions were playing. So it was actually a pretty wild sports weekend for me. Uh, But speaking on that, some of the news that we got uh, football related is the Joe Moore Award is going to stay in Ann Arbor first time that we've had back-to-back Joe Moore Award winners, which uh, if the um, the award is named after one of the best position coaches in history, it might just be time to call it the Sharon Moore Award. Like we said, we've never had a back-to-back winner, and we've never had two units as a finalist. This came down to just Michigan or Georgia. The difference was five votes. So this was extremely tight. Uh, Michigan's combination of accolades, on-season production, dominance in the running game, and pass protection was enough to win out. But how do you feel about this? I mean, I know you're on board. Uh, Did Georgia have a case here?
1: Yeah, Georgia absolutely had a case. They have one of the best tackles in the country. I believe they've only allowed seven sacks all season. I mean, they were, they're were they a great unit, and they continue to be a great unit, but this award is for more than that. It's for just excellence, nastiness, grit. It's an offensive lineman award given by offensive linemen, so they understand the position. They understand the subjectivity of it to where they're going to value just finishing blocks and physicality over technique and hand placement at times. And that's exactly what this unit is. Sharon Moore has been coaching offensive line for two years and has the best position group in both years. I mean, his success is unbelievable. Michigan absolutely deserved this. And I loved in the one team picture with the guys, they had everybody that had started this year for the Michigan offensive line, including Trente Jones, uh, Giovanni Elhadi, and Jeffrey Percy, and players like that to get their recognition as well.
0: Yeah, and those guys absolutely deserve it. I mean, Percy didn't play quite as much as the other two, but Trente Jones and El Hadi are valuable members of this offensive line and very deserving. Uh, Michigan this season allowed only 13 sacks, one per game. That's 11th nationally, 22nd nationally with 4.31 tackles per loss per game on uh, about 69 snaps per game. Nice. Uh, We were 6th nationally with 243 (laughs) yards per game and 38 rushing touchdowns puts us at second nationally. So... All of that speaks to an extremely good offensive line. But if you're a voter and you're trying to determine between these two really good offensive lines, what I look at is like who was more whose identity was more based around their offensive line and without that offensive line, could Georgia have gotten to 13 and O and could Michigan have gotten to 13 and O with Georgia? I mean, you probably not. I mean, but it's more likely without that offensive line or even a slightly worse offensive line. I think you and I know for a fact, Michigan does not get to 13 and O like that was so much a part of our identity this year that obviously we're biased. It's going to be impossible for me to remove my bias on this one, especially when I thought we kind of got snubbed in some other places But this, to me, is the right move. It had to happen if there ever was going to be back-to-back Joe Moore award winners. This 21-22 to run of Michigan offensive lines makes a lot of sense to be the crowning jewel.
1: Yeah. And this year feels so much different than last year because when the offensive line won the award, it was like kind of the end all be all the presence after the season. And then I guarantee that picture of the guys was up in the Georgia weight room and they came in motivated and really put all our offensive line on their asses in the orange bowl. This year, it feels like they got the award and they kind of take it like, well, this is a nice achievement. We appreciate the recognition. But they have their eyes firmly on the prize. And anybody speaking out, whether it was Olu, Zinter, Hayes, Keegan, Barnhart, they're all very locked in on TCU right now. And it's, I love hearing the just focused tone as compared to just like the reverence of the season that was. They understand they're still in the thick of it.
0: 100% and uh, kind of echoing what we spoke to uh, Desmond about, like how this team feels a little bit different in some areas. Um, let's talk some of the individual accolades here. And let's start at the top where last year's Aiden Hutchinson hardware haul we thought would never be matched. But here comes Olu Oluwatimi. And let's go ahead and take a small victory lap here. We definitely called this one early on. But that was, I mean, he was a finalist for all these last year. So this wasn't exactly, you know, Steph Curry pulling up from the logo. This was kind of a layup that he would be, uh, you know, at least in the running for all these. But to come out with the Outland, the Remington, and to be a consensus All-American, it's really, really impressive. And one of the better just overall years from player. I mean, forget offensive lineman, just player in Michigan history.
1: Assuming we know the players that are going to go to the NFL next year, do you think Olu Olu Oluwatimi is the first Wolverine drafted?
0: It's interesting because the center position is, I mean, you have to need one. That's not something you're not going to draft a center and, and, you know, stash him or move him out to right guard or tackle. So they don't go really high very often, but he certainly has the talent. We saw Cesar Ruiz go in the first round. And would you, if you were an NFL you know, draft guru, would you rather have Cesar Ruiz or Olu Olu
1: Oluwutemi, I've seen it over a few years at a very high level. And I think he's playing at an even higher level this year than Cesar Ruiz ever reached at Michigan.
0: Uh, So I answered your question with the question, but I will now answer your question outright. Uh, I think he will be. I think he will be. The other one to consider here is Mike Morris. I saw some DJ Turner love, uh, but keep an eye on Mozzie Smith. He's also going to break the combine. But that's the thing. Olu is also insanely strong. Like I would give a lot of money to go back and watch all the practice reps between Mozzie Smith and Olu Timmy. Who do you think wins those more often than not? Like that is fascinating to me.
1: That's the thing, man. There's no co- there's no coincidence that it was Michigan and Georgia here because both teams have a great defensive line. And iron sharpens iron in both cases. And just to watch the practice reps between Mozzie and Olu, I mean, just that's, that's a war every time. That's an immovable object meeting an unstoppable force every snap. And if I had to guess, man, I bet they split it 50 50s I mean, 60-40 Olu, I don't know. I mean, that's a coin flip at times.
0: Yeah, if we ever get one of the coaches, let's like put a pin in that and make sure that we can ask that like who won more reps like I need to know like that is just fascinating to me because it's like a, a T-Rex like butting up against a blue whale like I don't know that's fascinating. I need to see what happens when those two things interact. <laughs> um, but, <yeah>. oh. <laughs> T-Rex and a whale. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I just don't know how it's going to go, but I need to see it. Uh, other individual accolades, Blake Corum, unanimous, All-American. So explain this to me. Consensus, All-American is everybody, unanimous, or no, excuse me, unanimous is everybody. Consensus is three of five.
1: Uh, yeah, correct. correct. Minimum three of five for consensus or four, uh There's five voting bodies for All-American, which just is way too complicated. And Corum uh, was selected in all five. Oluwattimi was selected in, I believe four
0: and i'm assuming the other ones went to the guy that beat him out for big all big 10 so must be the only person better is somehow this guy in minnesota with two names it's weird whatever we don't want to rehash that neither of us quite agree with how these awards are doled out and like the fact that you can be like a heisman candidate but not win you know conference honors and stuff it is very strange but it doesn't really end up mattering, except uh, sometimes it does. And you know, these are accolades that you carry with you for the rest of your life. So some accolades that were given out by the Michigan team, they do this every year, kind of cool. They have like, unique names that go with them as well MVP and everything um they announced some of these award winners and i think we should run through them at least it's at least worth uh taking note of we're gonna have our own awards podcast which is way better than theirs sorry like it, it, it we have cool <laughs> names and it like we tie in the academy awards and all that stuff and i don't know who roger zatkoff is so uh <laughs> there's that but um yeah how do you want to do this man let's let's go through some of these
1: I want you to uh let's go through let's pick out a few of our favorites in here and then we can touch on some of the smaller ones I don't think we need to spend too much time on the uh Roger Zatkoff award presented to Junior Colson.
0: well I mean I like that he got the Zatkoff but I have no idea what the Zatkoff <laughs> is for it just says the Roger Zatkoff award
1: so it's like oh sweet Colson got the Zatkoff like everyone's so jealous it, I think it's best linebacker. Zatkoff was a famous linebacker that played at Michigan, so making oh, it the Michigan Tide should be the Zatkoff linebacker award, but um, just giving it by a name is kind of a flex for uh, Bob Zatkoff. I mean, that is
0: a linebacker ass name too. So props to, to Raj Zatkoff. but, uh, all right. First one that stands out to me, I'm going to go ahead and steal it from you. Rookie of the year on defense was awarded to two players. Cause you couldn't possibly pick one. I don't even need to tell the listeners who they are. You know who these two people are. And, uh, it's insane, the production that we got from both of these guys. I refuse to say their names because I I just have more faith in our listeners that they know who I'm talking about. One of them is actually two brown bears wearing the skin of a man on the defensive line. And the other one is a jaguar prowling in the secondary uh, that looks like he could pull an entire crocodile up a tree. So those guys split honors for rookie of the year on defense and uh, the, the most deserving too. who else are you going to give it to? I guess you could say, like, oh, yep. Jimmy Rolder was also there, but come on.
1: <laughs> no, Jimmy Rolder was there, but he did not have the same impact as our listeners guessed it, Mason Graham and Will Johnson, who have just continued to ascend. And <laughs> I don't <laughs> think the ascension has stopped heading into the playoff. We're only going to see the best of them as the season comes to a close. Uh, I'll stay on, I'll go to the offense, but I'm going to stick with the rookies. And this one, again, is a complete no-brainer. Uh, Colston Loveland. Tight end uh, was awarded rookie of the year this year, and there's no reason. There, I mean, there's no surprise here. He had two touchdowns, two in the biggest moments of the season. He had the the mossing of two Purdue Boilermakers in the Big Ten Championship. He had the deep bomb from JJ against Ohio State. He'd been slowly coming on all season. Harbaugh had alluded to his talent, and it finally started to actualize in the final two games of the season.
0: Another one where it's a bit of a slam dunk, like Tyler Morris, thank you for showing up and for your one or two catches that you had. Um, CJ Stokes, it was nice to get to know you briefly, but this was Colston Loveland. Absolutely great call there. Uh, I will go defensive skill player of the year. This one, uh, you look, what more can we say about this guy? Love that Desmond Howard, Sir Desmond Howard, is also a fan. Mike Sainer still taking Defensive Skill Player of the Year. Has to be him for total body of work. Now, is he the best on the team? Will Johnson may have surpassed everybody for that honor, but for the entire body of work year in, like it was it was Mike Sainer still. So absolutely deserving of that award there.
1: Yeah, and recently graduated from Michigan, so congrats to Mikey. and Love to have him back next year, and he's just going to continue to get better. He uh, had the tough assignment this year of replacing Dax Hill from last year, and he's almost replicated his numbers exactly. So it's just fascinating the job he has done his first year on the defense. Um, I'm going to go over, since you stole you know, my favorite player, I'm going to steal one of yours, Defensive <laughs> Player of the Year, Mozzie Smith, the catalyst of chaos in the interior. Everything on this team runs through Mozzie on the defensive front, just a constantly taking on double teams, penetrating at an extremely high level, and just gotten it sounds weird to say, got in better shape throughout the year in terms of conditioning was seeing careers highs and snaps late in the year, just constantly staying fresh, uh, relentless motor. And what more can you say about him? You and I were very had very high expectations for him, and he passed every one of them. Uh not like
0: crazy on the stats, but that shouldn't surprise anyone. Like you're not going to look at his stats this year and be blown away, but we kind of anticipated that that's just not the nature of what they were doing there. This is well-deserving. A lot of what you saw happening was happening due to him. Uh, All right. You're going to take Mozzie Smith for me. Let's see how you feel when I take this one from you. That's going to be most improved player on the special teams. Matthew Hibner. Why don't you suck on that? Along with (laughs) Iman Dennis. Uh Iman Dennis, though, is a guy that I kind of still have some stock in. I've held on to my stock. I'm not selling it. So seeing this like a little arrow stock up, uh, this is usually where you'll see a guy that's about to make a leap next year if he's having a really good year on special teams. So that means Iman Dennis is officially a guy to watch out for for next year.
1: I love everything about, uh, Imon Dennis. Uh, actually, he just, he would played gunner a lot this season and was always the first one down there in coverage played with just such an explosiveness and passion. Like really took it seriously as do most of the special teams players at Michigan. So shout out to Emon Dennis, man, really just finding a role and finding a way to contribute this season. Um, I'm going to do a a simultaneous one here. I'm going to do the Scout Team Players of the Year because I always love Scout Team Players of the Week because I think it's a good indicator of effort and players that are really preparing the starters for the matchups on Saturdays. And You don't go 13-0 without an excellent Scout Team. Uh, Scout Team Player of the Year on offense was Zach Peterson, a wide receiver. Scout Team Player of the Year on defense was Jesse Madden, former quarterback, and John Madden's, I believe, grandson. And the last one was Joel Metzger on special teams. So all of these guys contributed in their own individual way and in getting the starters ready week in and week out and gave them the battles and replicated opponents.
0: Awesome. Good to give them a shout out as well. And the uh, Madden bloodline. I really enjoy that as well. Offensive player of the year. This is a big one. Went to J.J. McCarthy. Look, they tried to give a lot of players awards here. And we haven't mentioned Blake Corum's name yet. And if you heard this and like didn't know, uh, he's coming up. But yeah, offensive player of the year, (laughs) JJ McCarthy, absolutely. Why not? I love it. I mean, we're not gonna do the JJ McCarthy soliloquy here. That's gonna be an offseason podcast, but we got some things to say about him. And overall, like this is this is our son, and he's growing up in front of our eyes.
1: Yeah, I I love to see him get the flowers here at the end of the year. He plays the most important position in all of sports and really showed his value and the level he can raise the ceiling to against Ohio State and I don't think it's quite reached the top of the ceiling yet. We hope to see that in the last two games. I'm going to go over to offensive skill player of the year. Although, again, you alluded to we're not going to touch on Blake Coram yet. He's coming up. The offensive skill player of the year was Ronnie Bell. And I don't think it can be overstated that he is. I mean, still had to come back from a horrific knee injury, made some spectacular plays this season, one of the most consistent wide receivers, had that snag in the Big Ten Championship from that dime of McCarthy in the back of the end zone to really bust this open and salt the game away. So Ronnie Bell, man, like team captain, I feel so happy for him to earn an award like this. He deserves it,
0: man. He deserves more hardware than this. But unfortunately, the season he had, by no means a bad season, I think 750 yards receiving, which is almost identical to his 2019 year. Uh, I think he's actually four yards short, so he needs only four yards to go for his career best in yardage. I just think we expected maybe a little bit more. We saw the catch last year in limited action in game one, and we're like, oh, he can do that now. So he's built like that, and we just expected that this year. And combination of new quarterback, um, you know, Getting established into this offense and getting that rhythm with JJ McCarthy going, as well as the fact that he's only six foot, not necessarily a burner. This was a good year for Ronnie Bell, maybe not a great year. Uh, special teams player of the year and specialist of the year. I'm going to go ahead and combine these two. Specialist of the year, Jake Moody. This is a no brainer. Brad Robbins, a little bit of a down year for him, so it had to be Moody, who was once again great. Um, Lou Groza finalist, um, just reliable likable the mustache was clean not too offensive like you might still let your children play at the playground if he was there obviously not getting into a van with him because he has a mustache but it's a respectable mustache and then special (laughs) teams player of the year AJ Henning who another guy that I am not selling my stock in sometimes made me want to rip my hair out but really exciting player and we haven't seen a ceiling yet I am absolutely not giving up on AJ Henning
1: no. I mean, we saw the talent at the beginning of the year. He was really kind of, uh, I don't know, just underutilized offensively. really just didn't fit in to what the team was doing <laughs> the team was doing this year in the offense. So he had to kind of find his niche role on special teams. He had the big return, as I mentioned. And I think his the best is yet to come for Henning. So we're still going to see that in the years to come. Uh, I'm going to go to the most improved players here. Offensively, it was Carson Barnhart. Defensively, it was Michael Barrett. Offensively, Barnhart just stepped in for Trent A. Jones, and he went down and just showed no sign of drop-off, helped the team like preserve and bring home the Joe Moore Award again. Defensively, Michael Barrett, what more needs to be said? Two picks against, Rutger, uh, against Rutgers, everything he's done defensively in terms of tackles and just getting better. like Never really made the same mistake twice. Just a very smart player. He's been there, a crafty veteran, and I'd love to see him get this recognition.
0: This is incredible. Michael Barrett, man. I am just a fan. That is that is my dude right there. I like the way he plays the game. I like everything that he says. His dad is a good interact on Twitter. Seems like a nice guy. Don't know if he's coming back or not next year. But we were a little critical of him. And I mean... Fairly, we were never like overly harsh on him, but it was like, I don't know what are his limitations. He's not the biggest linebacker. He's certainly not like a true Mike, but we had that. And if you have a true Mike and you can kind of put him around, like he's versatile, he's a versatile piece out there. And I I really, really like Michael Barrett. I think he's extremely deserving. Now, most improved though. There's so many guys here because Mike Morris certainly comes to mind and I don't see Mike Morris got the Richard Catcher Award, which I have no idea what that award means. Just one of the memorial awards. But that would be another name here if you're just talking about a guy that that could be considered most improved. Mike Morris had a hell of a hell of a season. I mean, former three star didn't really know much about him until the end of last year. Um, And then Carson Barnhart. No notes. I'm totally
1: I'm totally for that it's oh god this this year' there's just so many players you want to recognize like every time we come back to a list we're like oh what about this guy oh what about Rayshon Benny's case Taylor Upshaw like so many guys here are worthy of recognition um do you want to go into the quorum discussion you like yeah you to get yeah, into it that's that's
0: that's where I wanted to end this here is Blake Corum, who was not mentioned uh, before we were doing that on purpose because he is actually the most awarded player took home the blue collar award, the toughest player award. I don't know what the difference between blue collar and toughest player is like that. I would love to hear Jim Harbaugh explain that to me, but uh, regardless, <laughs> he's both of them. He's also the Bo Schembechler MVP of the team, which is has to be the most important award and Clearly, the right choice. I mean, this—the only other answer is Olu Olu with Timmy, but this—this is a Blake Corum award, and there's also just what he meant to the team from a cultural standpoint, and you know, being there on the sidelines, get helping them get through adversity, just being the rock that this team was built on. It couldn't be anyone else.
1: Corum is the most lovable Wolverine too. What he means to the university, I mean, there was no mistake in 2020 when he was a true freshman. And the first play of the season went to him. And that was a running back room that featured Hassan Haskins, Zach Charbonnet, and Chris Evans with him. So, I mean, just no small feat there to begin his career and just everything he's become in the final two. He updated today. He's about 50-50 on going pro or staying. I honestly hope he goes while his stock's the highest. But if Blake Quorums comes back, I'm not going to fight you and be mad about it. I would love to have him back because he just personifies what it means to be a Michigan man, and I think that is embodied in these three awards. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm going to go ahead and not push back if Blake Corum's like, I'm going to come back for <laughs> one more. I'm going to go ahead and be all right with that. Uh, quick question here. There's a dump truck loaded with fiberglass headache barreling down the road on your right. Aiden Hutchinson on your left. Blake Corum, you can only push one of them out of the way to save their life. Whose life are you saving?
1: Well, I can't push Aiden Hutchinson out of the way because he's the <laughs> Colossus of Roads. It's a large man. I have a better chance at pushing Corm. I mean, granted, he's thicker in terms of like height to weight ratio, but I think I could at least move him out of the way easier than I could Aiden Hutchinson.
0: Practical. Take heart and emotion out of this. That was smart like a robot would. <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break, man. When we come back, we're going to take a deep dive on one of the most insane turnarounds and just – ridiculous runs of recruiting that we saw with the transfer portal over the weekend. We're going to talk about the players that we got and what that means moving forward for this team. We'll be back right after this. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Whether you like it or not, the holidays and everything that comes with the holidays are coming quickly. That means repetitive, nonsensical and dated music with questionable undertones rooted in bygone eras sung by pop stars of the 90s and 2000s. But it also means the joy of gift giving. And whether gifting to a lucky friend or to your two lucky friends dangling down below, Manscaped Platinum Package is sure to be the gift that keeps on giving. Look, Santa's known for his sack, and so too should you be. That's why you can get 20% off with your first purchase when you go to manscaped.com with the code MNB20. Look, the weather is getting cold. That means you are more likely to retreat to the warmth of the indoors, the warmth of your bedroom. You know what that can lead to. Why do you think there are so many babies born in September and October? It's ridiculous. Make sure that when cold weather leads to something a little steamier, you are proud of the way that you're presenting yourself down there, gentlemen. Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. Everything you need to deck the halls, to face the balls, just in time for mistletoe season. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts. Both parts are waterproof, so no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway there. Now that you've groomed your candy cane, it's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer with the Platinum Package Shower products. All of Manscaped's shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve stink problems all day long. Once they touch your sack, you'll never go back. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. The perfect stocking stuffer, the brand new body buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping and use the code MNB20. Manscaped. Get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. All right, coming back, we're going to talk about arguably the most important change that's happened to college football in the last five years. That is the transfer portal. It's either this or NIL. There's no discussion. NIL has turned into just paying recruits as we assumed it might become, but that's a discussion for another podcast. Let's talk about the transfer portal because that's really going well for
1: Michigan right now. I mean, I mean, Harbaugh owns the transfer. It's Harbaugh's portal right now, and everyone else is just living in his world. I mean, Michigan is attacking the recruiting, the transfer portal recruiting trail with beyond an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. This is be I, beyond what you and I could have even like imagined. Because you and I, we always talk about he needs to do better with this. Get some more recruits in through the portal. Utilize it. Get the experienced players. We saw the Olus, the Cam Goods, people like that. But this level right now, I am—we're getting to recruit like every hour. It feels like,
0: brother. I'm going to serve myself up a nice, healthy bowl of crow here. I was preparing an article last, year, or I guess it was uh, August or September. I ended up doing the offensive line, defensive line article. But in the article, I was proposing I wanted to kind of put it out there that Harbaugh was severely underutilizing the transfer portal, and we were falling way behind. I am so glad I didn't put that out there. And I didn't need to say that on this podcast. That's just the kind of person that I am. I, I went and sold myself out because I was worried <laughs> about how we were utilizing the transfer portal. And then we saw Olu come in and you know, have that impact that he did. And then that really started to change things because it was only the quarterbacks up until now. It was Shea Patterson and it was Dad Rudock, And we didn't really want to see the transfers happening there. That's like the one position where you'd kind of like to grow it in-house. So once I saw Olu hit, I pulled back on that and I was like, all right, yeah. And then this is just something entirely different. As it stands right now, according to 247 Sports, we are... I don't even know what this means, but we're nine points ahead of the number two team. That's Florida State as far as overall points in recruiting ranking. And they are 13 points ahead of the next. So it's Michigan, Florida State, a massive gap and everybody else. And like the the gap between Michigan and Florida State is also huge. So we're not just out in front. We are dominating the transfer portal right now. It's tough to even put into words just how far out the head they are. But we're going to do that nonetheless. We're going to talk about some of these players. Actually, may as well just mention them all that we have coming in because these guys, whether they start or just contribute to depth, are going to play a huge role. And that's why I really think the transfer portal could become more important than recruiting. You're still going to need recruiting, but transfer portal is giving you immediate impact guys. Do you agree?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's becoming like a very much like a 60, 40, 70, 30 kind of proposition. I mean, obviously you want young guys in there to cultivate and build throughout your program, but you also just want some plug and play guys, some added depth of experience. And you know what you're getting because you've seen them at the college level. And it's so much easier to evaluate college tape, whether it be at Illinois, Purdue, Nebraska, Indiana, any of those power five schools compared to reviewing tape from a double A school in Maryland. So it's like you can see the translation much easier and you really know what you're getting in the product.
0: I wanted to tee you up for a point that you made there about how with recruits, if NIL is, in fact, you're just paying for players, which that may be a bit aggressive. I don't know that that's what it is, but it certainly looks that way. If that is, in fact, what's happening, would you rather just be paying outright and have this really awesome looking recruiting class or would you rather have seniors coming over that probably could have gone Ladarius uh, Henderson, Miles Hinton definitely could have gone into the draft like for sure? And they didn't like and I don't think they're coming over for the bag. I think they're coming over because they realize that the NIL money you get is pennies compared to getting that really huge deal from the NFL. So that was a point that you made that I think is really well taken.
1: Yeah, you and I were talking about this over the weekend about how like these mean 17, 18-year-old kids are really enticed by you know seeing all this money and shiny cars and these pictures and the cloud of like online social media. These guys are more or less grown men that want to make it to the next level, have kind of struggled in certain aspects, or just need the extra push to push them over the top like Olu Olu Timmy did. So they're not coming to Michigan for anything shiny. They're coming to Michigan to dominate and win games. Like, so that's like really awesome. The way Harbaugh is using the portal now is bringing in these guys as a launching pad to further their career and to secure the bigger bag beyond NIL.
0: hundred percent, man. And let's get into these players. We're going to go in order of the two, four, seven rankings, and we're going to start at number one and not just number one on our list. Number one on the list for most impactful transfer. I don't really know how two, four, seven is doing this, but. 247 has a pretty good track record, whereas like PFF, I'm really not going to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to give 247 sports some benefit of the doubt here in their rankings. And they have linebacker Ernest Hausman transfer from Nebraska, a former four star, six foot two, 220 pound linebacker. Uh, Looking around some of the Nebraska message boards, they thought this was the best linebacker they've had since Levante David. A lot of their fans think he's it could be better. Like that's the kind of player that we're dealing with here.
1: Yeah, and uh, Ernest really came on at the end of the season with double-digit tackles in the last couple games, balled out against Michigan with double digits, a sack, a tackle for loss, and he's young. This kid is a stud, was a true freshman putting up these numbers. So the fact that he has already shown that promise as a freshman, now he's going to come to Michigan and compete with Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, Nakai Hill Green in that room, it's only going to raise his game to an entirely different level. So let's talk a little bit about
0: what this means for the depth there. Junior Colson, nobody, I don't care how good this guy looks, nobody's unseating Junior Colson unless Junior Colson wants to be unseated. We agree? Facts. So that means it's likely he's competing for Michael Barrett's spot. Michael Barrett, undecided about if he wants to come back. He could probably do with coming back for his draft stock, but. I I don't know. It, it's difficult to say. I have watched some tape on this guy, just the Michigan Nebraska game, albeit, but he looked really good in that game. And size wise, like he he could really give Michael Barrett a run for his money here.
1: Yeah, he could really push him. Barrett it will be the guy's challenge. And Kyle Hill Green is also still in that mix as well. Because I believe he's coming back from injury, and he should be healthy. I mean, we are still have our fingers crossed he makes an appearance in the college football playoff. I'm joking. Uh, but it's going to be those guys battling it out. I mean, it's going to be, again, it's going to be iron sharp as iron. I mean, uh, high tide raises all ships, and the best man's going to win. But just having this depth in there, even with Jimmy Rolder still floating around as a true sophomore, like you're going to have these guys battling it out. And it not only makes next year look better, it makes two years look a lot more promising now.
0: Yeah, you're looking way down the road now and all of a sudden linebacker is a strength where not long ago, and I mean coming into this season not long ago, we were like, This is without a doubt the position we're worried about. I don't think we can, you know, beat Ohio State if, you know, Junior Colson's the only linebacker we have. Well, we've come really, really far from there. We we now trust Michael Barrett. We're going to get Nikai Hill Green back. We trust Jimmy Rolder enough. That, you know, in spot duty, he could be there. And now you bring in Ernest Hausman, who I have to say, as far as people with the first name Ernest and a last name beginning with the letter H, I have him second all time already. Like he's flying up the boards of Ernest H's.
1: I was going to fly flying up the earnest ranking. See, I don't have my list on me, but I have it somewhere tucked away. Yeah, yeah I know you've
0: got it. I've seen it. You've shared it with me. There's also the guy from uh, Ernest Scared Stupid on there somewhere, but I've got this guy above him because uh, I'm pretty sure that guy did some weird stuff at a playground in the 90s. I don't know. Uh, let's move on down the list. Uh, next is Ladarius Henderson, number 12 in the transfer portal. Coming out of Arizona State, He, if you go on a lot of mock drafts before he decided to come out, was listed as like the 50th best prospect. So this was a guy that they were expecting to go in the second round and is now joining Michigan's offensive line, the Joe Moore Award winners. Uh, He can play inside, he can play outside. As I mentioned, I don't really know where they have in mind. Where do you see Ladarius Henderson, if you had to guess?
1: Man, this is tough because it really depends on who's coming back, who's staying. I would love to see him play guard at six foot four. I feel like he's just a little undersized height wise to play tackle. So if you lose, I mean, you lose Zach Zinter, you could plug him right there in at right guard. I think he would just fit seamlessly. Like you said, man, this was a high level prospect. That was going to go in the first two rounds of the NFL draft coming to michigan he's not coming here for anything less than domination and like while we have like ernest to ernest h is what we're just going to call him now really excited about his potential in the linebacker room i think ladarius could have the biggest impact immediately for michigan
0: yeah this is like getting olu last year i think olu was a slightly better prospect in the sense that he was considered the best center um this guy was the best guard in the transfer portal but i mean Olu was considered like the best center that you could get that wasn't graduating or going into the NFL draft. So I I look at this lineup for next year. We don't know, like you said, we don't know about Zinter yet, but I would imagine Zinter returns. So then at one tackle, you probably have Barnhart or Jones. You've got another guy that we're going to talk about here. Like this is, this is an insanely loaded offensive line. I have to look at center. That's where I have to look, is like, do they
1: they think they can kick someone in? Could this guy play center? Yeah, I mean, could he? I I don't know if he can, because we'll get to another center later on, but you still have our boy Greg Crippen fighting up through the rings. I mean, he was second – on the depth chart this year players like Reese Atterbury waiting around as well. El Hadi. I mean, just the depth in the room is crazy. I, mean, I, th- I feel like I could put together easily five different combinations and feel confident rolling them out for game one next year.
0: It's going to be crazy to do our spring game draft next year. Cause we've never had anything like this. Like you could roll out our second five and that would be better than the Indiana offensive line or better than like, it's probably better than like 65, 70 teams. Like that is crazy depth. Giovanni Hadi is probably not going to be able to crack the starting rotation like that is. Whew. I mean, it's crazy to talk about, but like this is the power of the transfer portal right here. You just bring this guy in and he could be your bet. like he could be better than Zinter next year. Like according to the
1: the current rankings, he is. I love that Michigan and Harbaugh are not waiting around to see who's leaving and who's staying because that's been a problem in the past where it's like you sit around a little too long, you lose a guy you weren't expected to, and now that position is kind of thin. Like death becomes a real issue. They're not waiting anymore. They are just accumulating talent where they think they're going to need good players interested in coming to Michigan, and they want the best player to play. The meritocracy and the culture just went out for Michigan again here.
0: Um, all right, so next up on the list is number 26, and that's going to be edge rusher Josiah Stewart. This is one we were keeping an eye on. He's out of Coastal Carolina. Last year, 37 tackles, three and a half sacks, one forced fumble. The rich get richer. What does this mean, though, for our edge rushing group? Where does this guy fit in?
1: This is a great get. I love this. I think, for one, this guarantees that Mike Morris is gone, which we all expected. So still on the outside edge room, you're going to have Jalen Harrell, Yabioki, Yoki, Braden McGregor, Derek Moore, TJ Guy, Just name after name floating around, and now you had Josiah Stewart, who played high school ball with our boy Mikey Sander still at the same high school in Massachusetts, coming home to Michigan to just add another level to this unit. So I can't wait, man. This player really, really excites me with his ceiling. Yes, this does probably seal the fate
0: of Mike Morris, who could have come back, but he's been there for a while. It's it's probably time for him to go, and I expect he will be back for the game against TCU and a strong showing there. He's got second round potential. So, needed to replace him. Now, Josiah Stewart, not as big at 6'2, but really impactful, like a speed rusher. And you mentioned the depth. Like, I am taking back a lot of the negative things I said about Braden McGregor, most all of them, because like, I'm really excited about what that guy can be. And you add this guy to that stable of pass rushers and like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a reload. That's exactly what it is. And uh, I don't know if it'll be no star defense next year on the edges either. Like I I think we may have some stars. We'll see. Uh, Let's keep moving down the list. This is a recent one. I don't even know where this guy comes in on the rankings, but he's just he's between Josiah Stewart. He's like the number doesn't say regardless tight end. A.J. Barner from Indiana, former team captain, six, 250 pounds. I haven't had any time to like watch any tape or anything. This just happened.
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, this happened right before we went on the air. I've been trying to do a little bit as we've been getting through this. Uh, Indiana loved this kid. He was a little banged up this season, really struggled with injuries. Uh, still had 28 catches for just under 200 yards, three touchdowns. I think Tom Allen once said he could be the best tight end in the history of Indiana. Oh. Um, just, I mean, he has the body type to be great, a four-star prospect. And, I mean, this is such a huge get for Michigan, who could lose Luke Schoonmaker this year.
0: That's insane. So once again, just while we were talking, literally, we had another one of these happen. It's a four-star get, essentially, and a replacement for Eric All on his way out, who we didn't even really need. Does this tell you that Schoonmaker's leaning towards the NFL?
1: That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it could be, but he also hasn't declared for the Senior Bowl, so maybe it's going to be Schoonie and Loveland, Bredesen, and now this guy who has two years of eligibility left. Good Lord. And Loveland's
0: just getting going. So if I was Schoonmaker, I mean, you had a great year. Last year, nobody had even heard of you. And now, like, you could go to the NFL. I think you'd take that. I mean, there's no point in risking a whole nother season to get maybe. I mean, you're not athletic enough to get up into the first or second round. No offense to Schoonmaker, who I love. Like, you're just not going to rise too much further. So. I, I would love it if Scoodmaker came back, but him and Corum are two guys that I'm like, yeah, you should probably go. Like Mozzie, Mike Morris, you should probably go. And, and I don't usually say that for guys that aren't projected first round. But having this kid like that, that's crazy, man. What a get just since we started recording. Uh, moving down, tackle Miles Hinton, number 43 in the transfer portal. You might recognize the name. We certainly recruited the hell out of him because we had his brother at the time. This is Chris Hinton's brother. Uh, can't hate him for choosing Stanford. It came down to Stanford or Michigan. Obviously, academics were a priority. David Shaw gets fired. He get or resigns, excuse me. He comes over 6'7, 320 pounds. This was a guy that I really wanted. I thought he was going to be a lock, you know, when his brother Chris was here. And now we get him when he's already
1: developed. Like, sign me the F up. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely man, just a big bodied kid. I Amy mean, was a, a, a highly rated four-star coming out. I mean, 247 still translate him as a four-star coming in. Projected him as like a second to third round draft pick. Just a mountain of a man that really wants to take the next step at a program like Michigan who's excelling in football where his academic like desires don't have to take too much of a hit. So, yeah, I mean this immediately comes in here, shakes up the tackle room a little bit because we talked about Trente and Barnhart You also have Jeffrey Percy floating around now, him coming in, Connor Jones, just mammoths of men now. And Miles Hinton, man, what a get. This is one of the guys at the top of my list as well, uh, along with Josiah Stewart.
0: Yeah, for me, it was Houseman and this guy, Josiah Stewart. I mean, but Henderson as well, man. It's tough to pick just one because every guy that we've mentioned, um, I don't know much about A.J. Barner, admittedly, but all the other guys up to this point will play a huge role on next year's team. Like they're just going to like it, it, whether or not Josiah Stewart is more of a Mike Dana or more of a David Ojabo remains to be seen, but he's going to be out there. Um, And Miles Hinton, man, this is uh, I want to talk about the totality of this, this offensive line get here in the transfer portal. But we got one more guy to talk about, and that's center. He's number 65 rated in the transfer portal. Also from Stanford, that's Jake Nugent, who's going to come in. And we don't really know if they have anybody that they plan to try to kick into center that wasn't initially a center. But now we officially at least have Crippen, our boy. Who uh, you know we we really want to win the job, but he's got to earn it because now he's competing against Jake Nugent, which is a real good football name. Uh, I don't know much about him as well. Also, like a recent signee, um, don't have a lot of tape. I'm also just I don't hate myself enough to grind Stanford center tape <laughs> like in my free time. <laughs> I do have a life, so like haven't gotten to that yet. But uh, I mean the depth there—that is certainly where we look at the offensive line, and we obviously you lose a Remington award winner. There's a hole there. So, you know, this is a good get as
1: well. Well, sir, the Google doc here, did you no favors, especially with his name? Because it is even better. It is Drake Nugent at, center coming over from Stanford. So just even more of an elite name coming over to join Michigan, add some depth there. Um, I'm not too familiar with him. He seems a little bit undersized from the research I have done in the last couple of days, but again, the Stanford to Michigan and the Indiana to Michigan pipeline right now are strong in the portal.
0: Yeah. To say I don't know much about him is obviously doing it a disservice. I didn't even have his name right. I have it right in front of me. But no, in the doctor, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It was Jake Nugent. It is Drake. I apologize to who could potentially be our uh, starting center next year. This is an interesting Interesting competition. Uh, One more guy to touch on, then I do want to kind of look at the totality of this and and which guys you expect to start. But that is Jack Tuttle, the quarterback at Indiana, another former team captain coming over, going to provide some depth in the quarterback room. Uh, Before we get into this offensive line discussion, is this the backup? Is Alex Orgy the backup next year? How do you see this playing out? Is he just coming in for like to have a, a, a smart
1: elder statesman in the room? It's very interesting. It feels kind of like a Bowman situation. I think the backup really depends on what Davis Warren does. I think he is the clear-cut backup right now, and then you get into the orgies. I think this guy immediately comes into the top three, fits where Bowman would provide that leadership, really develop his skills, I could see him coming to Michigan. I think he has a couple years of eligibility. Let me see. No, he's one year. So really, I think just coming into Michigan to learn from the best, learn from McCarthy, learn from Harbaugh, and hopefully take that next step and translate it and parlay it into a potential professional career.
0: I mean, if it works out that your degree actually is from Michigan, but you got all your credits from Indiana, like that's a pretty sweet gig as well but yeah i mean uh coming in and obviously it'll be more interesting when we can get to the orgies but i think you're right that it's going to be a davis warren type of year and jack tuttle's probably just in there as like the uh you know the savvy veteran the guy that can provide some advice but let's uh let's look at this offensive line room now because we brought in three guys that are real players here uh we brought in ladarius henderson who i just can't imagine sitting. And then Miles Hinton, a former four star that we've really, really wanted and a center like where, you know, if you had to look at where we had the biggest gap, that's where it is. So what on earth are you making of this competition that's shaping up for next year? Or is this telling you something that like, oh, maybe Zinter's on his way out because like that's bringing in a lot of juice. That's a lot like some of these guys can't start.
1: Not everybody can start. There's only five jobs, but Michigan does an excellent job of frequently using six or seven offensive linemen. Maybe somebody converts to a different position. I don't know what their exact plans are, but I have... They have my undying trust in Sharon Moore and the offensive line room and what they've been able to develop with it. What at first looked like, you know, good talent, but not great a few years ago. And now it's just, it's the best offensive line room year in and year out. And it's going to be the cream rises to the top. It's going to be a dogfight every day in practice. And it's like not out of the realm of possibility that Michigan's second offensive line group could still be top 30, top 50 in the country.
0: All right, so let's try to to do this from left to right then. It's early to do this, but I just can't help myself. It's it's too fascinating. Uh left tackle Miles Hinton. Do you agree? I agree. Left guard
1: Ladarius Henderson. Do you agree? I'm going to say I'm going to say Trevor Keegan comes back and it's Keegan. Okay. Center.
0: This is where it's interesting. Because this could also be, like, I, I'm wondering if there's a Ladarius Henderson move to, that gets him here. Or I'm wondering if there's a Zinter move here. Like, is there something planned? Like, this is the spot that I'm just like, what's going on here to bring in, like, doing the Brian Windhorse? Like, what what's happening here? Like, where, where are they planning on playing Ladarius Henderson? Because I agree with you, like, Keegan's going to be awesome at left guard. Like, could Keegan kick into center? He's huge. That doesn't really doesn't seem right no no like now, uh, now this we're one getting is, way off Oh off, man off this one is plot.
1: so tough
0: i know it's like i'm trying to find the plot here and i cannot so like all right let's 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 skip center for now right guard zach zinter could go but i'm not hearing any buzz about that like that seems like really over kicking your coverage
1: Let's just assume Zinter goes, and I think this is the guard spot where you could really plug in Henderson. Okay. Well, if that that would make it
0: easy, that that makes it nice and clean. So yes, if that happens, let's do that just for the sake of moving this along. Because if not, I have no idea what's happening. Uh, so all right, we'll plug in Henderson, and that means Barnhart and Jones competing again at right tackle.
1: Yeah, that's what it yeah, that's what it seems like coming down to those two again on the edge. And um they they could even move Barnhart inside if you wanted to move Henderson to center. Can we move one of these guys to tight end or something? Cause this is insane.
0: We're gonna have Trente Jones, El Hadi. We're gonna have one of these transfers. We're gonna have like Keegan or somebody on the be- like this this backup bench is way too talented. Like it's insane.
1: Yeah, and one thing I want to point out about all the transfers, but specifically the offensive linemen, uh, Ladarius Henderson, team captain, A.J. Barner from Indiana, the tight end, team captain, center Drake Nugent, team captain, quarterback Jack Tuttle team captain it's all these guys that are natural leaders and understand the way it's going to work and you're not going to just I mean it's just going to be it's such a great addition I can't express that enough the way they've recruited these guys and how they're going to plug and play them and honestly for our offensive line discussion I think the centerpiece is the domino for everybody else once we know who's playing center and we know who's returning everything else will go from there
0: you're you're completely right yeah that's what i was thinking it's like how can we even do this we don't have enough information to complete this because as it stands right now like it's like we have too many chess pieces on the board and it's like all right start your game and it's like well hang on i have like i have way too many pawns here like there's i can't even begin this game until i know like until we get this sorted out, because this is, it's, it's insane. Like I've never seen depth like this. We have never seen depth like this. I'd be surprised if there ever were depth like this, like this proven. And that's what the transfer portal does is it brings guys in that you're immediately like, you can tell, Oh, that guy's better than so-and-so. Like we already know that with a recruit, it's, it's complete conjecture. You just don't know, but we know Miles Hinton is going to come in and immediately compete with Trente Jones and like, I'm higher on Trente Jones than you are, but like no one knows who's going to win that battle. But I think we're both of us leaned Hinton in that discussion. Did
1: we not? Yeah. He's just a more naturally sized tackle. I mean, I mean, he's, he's more close, like more similarly in size to a mountain than he is a human (laughs) being, but yeah. And just, uh, Again, man, like the other thing like we need to mention with these guys is we're taking all of them, you know, most most of them former team captains, putting them in Ben Herbert strength and conditioning program for nine months and then churning them out. So it's not just them coming from what they are now. They could be even bigger, even stronger, even faster by the time fall camp rolls around.
0: And we get a couple years with the tight end and uh, several years with Ernest Hausman. So, like, it's not just, you know, a couple guys coming in to improve their draft stock. Some of these guys are going to be dudes you need to be familiar with and potential jersey purchases. years to come man like i am fired up about what michigan did we've also moved up to number 16 with traditional recruiting so like we haven't just forsaken that you combine those two and and we're right where we need to be man oh they've just updated our team score by the way uh we are now 64 to 55 okay so it's still about the same over florida state but It's these are the good times, man. Like, it's hard to find anything negative. We've just had week after week where it's just like I have no notes on anything like this is this is flawless Michigan timeline.
1: It has been it's just so delightful to cover, man. I mean, everything they've done, like you were already preparing, like, you know, an anti-stance, like looking for places where Michigan needs to improve, like really doing your job. And then they just, they, they do it preemptively. They were already two steps ahead of us making these, this level of chess move. So it's spectacular, man, national signing days tomorrow. So we're really going to like figure out where this class is going to wind up early on and I can't wait because as much as we know about the Harbors uh, and several other like, recruits coming in, the Cole Cabanas, we still don't know about the Yabi yokis out there waiting in the wings that are at smaller schools that won't be here until the summer. Like There's still so much like to take advantage of, and Michigan is at the forefront of all of it.
0: If you could have one more transfer, like it could be a player or a position, where, where do you think we need a little bit more help at, and then we can close this thing?
1: I would take. I would like to take one more transfer at corner. I would love some depth there. Uh, just adding in, like with Will Johnson. I don't know if Jamon Green's coming back or DJ Turner have some unproven talent in the back end. It's a ton at safety, so I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys moves to corner. But if we could get like a proven two-year kind of guy to plug and play with Jesse Minter's system, that'd feel really good for next season
0: understandable and that's more important than where i was gonna go but i have some faith in keon sab zeke berry macari page like there's some names there that can play back there i think they can move those pieces around it also helps when i think you're gonna have an all world like all american guy in will johnson so i was looking at dorian singer from arizona like he's he's only six foot but like a true number one wide receiver to get him to come in and take some minutes from Ronnie bell and let the other guys kind of catch up. Cause I don't know who our number one wide receiver is next year. Looking at a projected depth chart, they had it at Andrew Anthony, which I know probably isn't going to make you uh, sleep too soundly at night. All right, good. All right, man. Uh, This was a fascinating discussion. I'm really glad that we did this. And like you said, man, this is this is just all good stuff for the program. And uh, we'll try to find the negatives when we see them. But uh, because we're professionals, we are going to do podcasts uh, this week and next week because we also have lives. Andrew will not be here. So we're going back to back for you. That is how much we love you. We are going to do a back-to-back podcast that we record because we have not broken down TCU yet, and I'm finally ready to do that. Now, I haven't done the kind of deep dive that you've done, but I did watch Texas TCU again and stay at a Holiday Inn last night, and I also have 13 beers, 13, 14 road beers available to me, so I'm ready, sir. I can't wait to get into it, man. This is gonna be great, but that's gonna do it for this one. make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast whether that's Spotify, Apple music you can get this podcast wherever. follow us on Twitter at and Brew. I'm Jared that's Andy. This is out of the blue we'd like to remind you that wherever you go go blue.